This is Acid Horizon, a theory podcast which confronts global crisis and the specter of a world that could be free. This is episode number one, The Syllabus. In this episode, we will introduce the cast, and we will also introduce a series of readings that will be the subject of future episodes. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the first episode of Acid Horizon, our theory podcast. The first thing that I want to do is introduce our hosts, Afreen, Matt, and Will. Hi. Hello. How are you? And I'm Craig. Acid Horizon is a theory podcast. It's a critical theory podcast. Here we're going to look at works from political philosophy. Our primary goal, of course, is to examine historical texts of critical theory, new texts of critical theory, and some lesser known texts of critical theory, all the while doing our best to make connections between theory and things happening in the world right now and things happening in our own work that we do as academics and thinkers. My first question is, what are your goals for this group? What are some things that you would like to see happen on this podcast? And I'll direct that question at Matt first. Sure. I mean, so for me, um, it's really just an opportunity to read some interesting material, some books or chapters or papers or whatever, and um, talk to some interesting people about what they what they think about it, how, it, how it's relevant today or if it's relevant or what we can learn. Um, so for me, I, I, it's sort of a less, it's not a hierarchical thing. It's just an opportunity to uh, discuss interesting ideas, I think. And Matt, I should have asked you to do this right away, but let us know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you're doing, etc. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Leeds in the politics department. Um, I'm working on theories of radical democracy and uh, potential limitations. Um, although I, I was... I, did my undergrad degree and my master's at uh, the University of York. Um, I'm currently, I'm currently not in Leeds. I'm, I'm in, due to lockdown, I'm uh, down south in uh, Cambridgeshire with my family. So so now I'll turn to Afreen. What are some of the goals that you have for this podcast? And also, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, some of the work that you've been doing and so on? Uh, okay. Hi. So um, I'm from India, from Bombay, and uh, we're currently in lockdown as well. Um, but I've been in lockdown since 9th March because I had the flu. Um, and uh, yeah, so I studied law. I uh, did my master's in uh, international human rights in um, in Singapore. And then I kind of, uh, so my journey is a little more convoluted than um, the other participants here. But uh, long story short, I found myself um, doing some field work, uh, making like a CEDAW report um, for uh, sex workers, uh, a human rights advocacy group and then I landed a teaching position in my university uh, and I stayed there for a while um, before moving back to uh, India just um, a few months uh, few months ago and uh, yeah and then since then I've been working in a non-profit um, current interests uh, current project revolves around um, uh, Islamophobia in, in India and what I expect from this podcast I guess uh, before the lockdown uh, like I was quite involved in uh, doing fieldwork and so on, and uh, and suddenly after the lockdown, I kind of found myself in, in this like very regimented routine. And then I, you know, I, I think Will can relate to this like uh, through a Foucauldian lens. Like uh, I don't have any institution that I'm affiliated to right now, but I I found like every day of my week like occupied with something or the other. So I guess the podcast is um, a way for me to actually start thinking again instead of just constantly kind of reading and trying to process like 
theory and so on. So I think that's what I would, um, my goal would be from uh, the podcast as like a space to just kind of think and uh, make sense of uh, what's going on around us. That's great. So Will, how about you? Hi, uh, I'm a 2B graduate student in the United States. I'm from New York primarily, but right now I'm living in Florida. The reason I'm interested in this podcast is because, A, I've never really had the ability to sit down with like-minded individuals and work through either radical theories of politics or uh, epistemological formulations about uh, the acquisition of knowledge, metaphysical frameworks, things like this. Um, I spent a lot of time in undergrad working in kind of conventional political uh, sectors and at the end of my undergrad, I actually spent some time working in Congress, um, and that's where I really started to cut my teeth on, on theory. Uh, I also was the, the captain and coach of my debate team. I was the captain during undergrad and, and the coach this year, which is where you get exposed to this stuff. It, it tends to be used in a kind of, uh, it's closer to a utilization in order to achieve a, a goal in a given situation. Um, so your, your relationship to this theory is... Uh, kind of based on utility, right? It's whether or not Deleuze can get you uh, get you a win from a 45-year-old English major. Um, so, so my exposure to this theory was really um, not in the academic sense, more in the competitive sense. Um, but as time went on and, and as I spent more time actually exposing myself to it, my interest increased. Uh, so I'm here to learn. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in how uh, contemporary and uh, 20th century continental philosophy can be utilized in political discourses. Uh, what particularly can we uh, aspire to if we utilize Deleuze as an intellectual framework? Um, so I'm here to simply learn how to bridge that gap. I think everybody wants to bridge the gap between like theory and practice, right? Like that's not a unique position to be in, but I'm just interested in what people have to say about that. That's yeah. great. I think I think probably most of us are in a similar position in that in that in that sense. Um, like, so we've all got quite different backgrounds, I think. But um, you know, so my my undergrad background was very analytic heavy. So for me, I'm in a similar position to Will, right? Where um, in a sense, in that I'm I'm trying to catch up or learn things at the same time as discuss them and see if I can make use of them you know, elsewhere. Um, and, you know, we're all from different countries and different backgrounds. So it, it's, it's interesting, I think. Okay, so I guess I'll go next. My name is Craig. I am a teacher and I'm also a musician in the Los Angeles area. And uh, I found these three wonderful co-hosts of mine on the Deleuze and Gattari quarantine server that was created at the beginning of the quarantine, where many critical theorists and those interested in the work of Deleuze and Gattari, they got together and they started doing a reading of Anti-Oedipus, and a lot of wonderful things happened there. I had in mind to create a podcast like this for a long while, and one of the silver linings of the quarantine was that people who were doing this kind of work had a moment to get together and reflect on the possibilities that were emerging now that everybody was stuck at home. And this is one of the things that eventuated from that. I graduated with a master's degree in philosophy from Cal State University, Los Angeles. I did my master's thesis on Deleuze and Gattari. And I see the work that I did there as 
very important to the work that I'm doing educating incarcerated men in the prison. One of the things that I really hope to do with this podcast is to branch out from my work that I've done with Deleuze and Gattari and some of the newer work that I've done with Foucault and work that I did as an undergrad and encounter people who are doing serious work in the world of theory. And hopefully this podcast will be a place where people working in critical theory can come and express their ideas, engage with us, and so that we can develop a community of people who are interested in doing this kind of work. I think we're living in a moment in history where there's a huge gap between people doing work on the left and people who are immersed in theory. And one of the things that I want to do is close that gap. And this podcast, I believe, will be a way to do that. So with that said, let's talk about some of the readings that we're going to be selecting for this podcast. This first episode, we are calling The Syllabus. Uh, we're getting together and each one of us is choosing a reading that we're going to do over a four-episode block. And I'm going to turn my attention right now to Matt, and I'm going to have him talk about the reading that he has selected for an upcoming episode where he is going to lead the discussion and the rest of us are going to ask him questions and comments to develop that discussion. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah, um, so my background is largely in political political, political theory, political philosophy, um, uh, elements of jurisprudence. And so for me, I went with um, a more uh, political um, text. And so I've gone with um, a chapter from uh, Hart and Negri's famous book, Empire. Um, the chapter is Postmodernization or the Informatization of Production. Um, and I think it's a really interesting one because it brings together elements of history, economics, philosophy, um, even law as well at points. Um, and I think it offers an interesting perspective, a sort of post-colonial perspective in a way as well, about uh, the sort of the universal UN-approved model of uh, <laughs> economic uh, development, right? Um, but it also talks a lot of um, to a lot of the um, uh, experiences that people in sort of the uh, global north will have um, about the the transition towards a kind of uh, service-based economy, right, um, away from traditional sort of agriculture and manufacturing towards this much stranger economy where it's even harder to sort of uh, get a grasp on what exactly it is that's being produced and traded as commodities. Um, and I think it'll give us a way of linking that up, uh, linking up into other ideas, other thinkers, which um, I think right. I think right now, given you know this lockdown and the global pandemic, and all these huge economic issues we're going to be coming up against soon, um, this sort of struck me going back and having a look at it that this was <clears throat> a way of perhaps uh, speaking to some of these issues we're facing right now. I think. I'm really excited to take a look at all of that material. That's something that I haven't looked at in a long time. But now I'm going to turn it over to Afreen, who's going to talk about Bataille's Theory of Religion, another text that I'm very excited to delve deep into. Yeah, so the text I've chosen, um, it's chapter one and two of uh, Theory of Religion. So it's um, animality, and then the second chapter is humanity and the development of the profane world. Um, so this so Theory of Religion was written uh, one year before the accursed share. And um, yeah, it kind of, um, so when most people 
hear the title they kind of they sort of confused like why religion because but i kind of um he really aligns himself with this nietzschean understanding of uh, religion although he did have like his own like mystic like inclinations towards like mysticism and uh, and so on um so why this text um i guess um so because i, I was working on the project on islamophobia and uh, a lot of my past field work it's uh, has always sort of focused on finding out solutions you know like gathering data and then uh, okay fine let's find out like how do we systematize this find solutions how can it have a bearing on policy and i think um during all of that i kind of realized that a lot of activists uh, especially like the ones i've spoken to so far this this sense of fatigue and like feeling burned out and yet there is this urgency to keep going and uh, but at the same time you know there is also this desire to really sit down and just kind of breathe and <laughs> try and make sense of things and um point towards things that are particularly sticky or that don't really lend themselves to or make themselves amenable to like easy solutions um and i think that's where batai came in for me because it's just during the course of like just sitting in office one day and just googling stuff i just came across theory of religion like i was reading reading random stuff uh, i i kind of noticed like batai's background is it's um like in the 1930s he was quite uh, very heavily like agonized by fascism uh, in france and then uh, all of that and that but that period of like the 1930s and then uh, this transition from fascism to the government of like the uh, popular left which was supposed to hold like a promise of a better future and then the um, consequent disappointments all of that had a huge bearing on his uh, inner life but also his approach towards making sense of like the politics and the world around him so that's what kind of appealed to me and uh, i found resonances um, in that with dulus and gatari's project as well like where the subjective and the objective uh, political world are quite inextricably linked um So yeah I think that's where theory of religion comes in for me because here he's kind of looking uh, seemingly in a neutral way towards uh, towards this tension between the eminent and the transcendent world that we find ourselves in and for him it's uh, uh, he's he doesn't make his stand very clear early on that okay eminence is like uh, the way to go or whatever but he kind of points to like this uh, this kind of alienation like in the marxist sense but an alienation which quite scarily enough uh, is it's much more fundamental and goes back to our um, to the tension between uh, uh, uh between the eminent and the transcendent and our uh, transition into the plane of uh, transcendence I've already looked at the chapter on animality and I'm excited but up next we have Will and the reading that he's going to do for us Hi So of course no surprise I will bring Foucault to the table as my first uh choice of text and what i will bring is the politics of health in the 18th century um it was an essay written kind of in the midst of foucault's work on that transition from discussions of discipline into ethics uh the re- when his theory of of biopolitics moved from an understanding of how institutions create uh through normalizing judgments particular subjects and uh shifting away from that position and towards this idea of kind of an internal ethical self-organization the the uh, a theory of individual political ethics but the reason i want to use the politics of health in the 18th century is particularly because my work is if i had to put it in a world of non-philosophy it would be disability theory and foucault is important in that sense because he's the first real corporeal ph- philosopher as it relates to the political 
Um, so the reason I'm bringing this essay to the table is because both I think it's approachable, which can sometimes be difficult for Foucault because a lot of the time you're hampered down by understanding his utilization of history and working through example after example and kind of seeing the tacit but kind of unspoken uh, alterations of practices between governments. Um, here he's much more explicit, and I think for people who are trying to understand what are the possible changes, epistemological breaks, alterations in government practices that could come out of this pandemic that we're all experiencing right now, I think this is a great way to understand uh, kind of the systems uh, within which Foucault believes we kind of operate. Um, and I think it's a great text to look at, particularly right now, for that reason. Um, so I'm excited to discuss it uh, in a group setting because I didn't really get to do that beyond defending my undergrad thesis. So, yeah. Sounds great. So uh, I guess I'll be the last one in this group. The text that I'm going to bring to the table is the interview between Deleuze and Foucault uh, that can be found on libcom.org called Intellectuals in Power, a conversation between Michel Foucault and Gilles Deleuze. And the reason that I'm going to bring this text to the table, well, there, there are maybe two or three. One is because I'm currently transitioning from going headlong <clears throat> into Deleuze and Guattari, and now I'm, I'm sort of concentrating my, my research focus on Foucault. And this, this essay is kind of a linchpin between their two respective theories. Uh, one of the reasons that this essay is very, very important to me is the fact that it talks about prisons and the prison as an institution which uses processes like infantilization as a method of control. I'm, I'm very interested in this because I have a lot of firsthand experience working inside the prison. Um, I'm interested in Deleuze and Gattari more generally because I think in relation to my previous experience reading Marx and my identification as a Marxist, I think that Deleuze and Gattari bring to the table something different and something important when it comes to theorizing political economy that I think is not necessarily missed in, in Marx, but is definitely overlooked in interpretations of Marx. And I think that what you get with Deleuze, for example, is a greater elaboration or a, an enrichment of Marxist theory. And with Foucault, I, I really appreciate his attempt to theorize power outside of a sort of conventional understanding of political economy, which in some sense Deleuze is trying to do too. And I think just as a methodology for myself as a researcher and a thinker, it's important to be constantly pushing at the edges of what we believe to be political economy and seeing for example, what has been forgotten, what has been left out, what has been marginalized, what are the things that impact what we understand to be political economy that are under-theorized. And I think there are no better thinkers to hold the banner or be the mascot of that methodology than Deleuze and Foucault. So with that said, I'm going to move on to my next question, which is kind of a fun question to get to know our hosts a little bit more. This will be for Matt. What I'd like to ask you, Matt, is what is your guilty pleasure? Ooh, um, well, so on, on the one hand, I, I, I mostly listen to uh, things like death metal and black metal, things like that. But um, I also really, really like... Uh, the exact kind of sometimes some of the pop music that someone like Adorno would absolutely 
<laughs> you know, come down for real. I love it. Um, I love it. Yeah, just in, in, in a guilty way, because you, you do feel a kind of residual guilt uh, about enjoying some of that music. But, um, you know, there's good and bad, there's good and bad kinds of it, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's some of these sort of guilty pleasures of music for me. So, Matt, I'm going to ask you to name an actual band or artist. Oh, okay, okay. Um, let me let me just have a moment there. I'm have to think. Because um, obviously I've got to pick one that's like fairly embarrassing. But if I go too far on that, then I'm just opening myself up, really, aren't I? That's uh, right. <laughs> this is your last episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, subjecting myself to normalizing judgments. Um, there's actually there's a really really good Japanese band. Actually, I, I can never pronounce or remember the entire names called Gesno Otome, something like that. Um, they're pretty cool. They 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 sort of blend together. Um, pop, funk, jazz, and a few other different weird genres in kind of interesting ways. Um, and you can never tell what the next song on an, on an album is ever going to be like. Um, so yeah, so that, that'd be one of them. Well, I think the the Japanese factor gets you off the hook there. If it were a British band, I think you'd be more under the gun right now. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a little bit harder to find out about them, I suppose. Uh, Afreen, how about you? Do you have a guilty pleasure that we should know about? I mean, right now, I mean, I just try to unwind by listening to just a lot of nonsense music sometimes. I mean, it's not really nonsense. I, I quite I quite like it. Like, it's like Taylor Swift or like, yeah, something weird like that. Uh, recently, I was listening to the new Grimes album, if anyone's heard of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. I haven't heard the new album, but I'm familiar with the older stuff. Yeah, and I do like, yeah, I do tend to stalk celebrities sometimes. I'm that person. Um, I'll go check out like the conversation Elon Musk and Grimes are having. Like, yeah, it's just very mindless stuff like that. Um, so what's your take on Elon Musk and Grimes' new baby and the name that they had chosen for it? No, I try to not. I try to not do that. It is amazing. You have to look it up. Yeah, the name of the baby gotta. is something like X, A, E, where the A and E are together, oh, X-12. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably the most pretentious baby oh. name you ever heard in your life. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. It's like an attempt to wear like Elon's like, maybe I'll be a little too hypercritical here. His like wannabe transhumanism, but also like the symbolization of like particular things and like Grimes is like musical interests or like political interests. It's very interesting. Um, but it's, it's super pretentious. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's yeah. amazing. Cause like he's, he's put like his, his Twitter profile picture is uh, Deus X the game. And a bunch of people pointed out already that he's basically like, he could be a villain in that game. Um, he's not the hero, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he thinks he's a protagonist in his own, um, Deus Ex sequel, and he really isn't. That's a prerequisite of being a villain, you understand that, is to think you're the hero in mm. your story. How about you, Will? What is your guilty pleasure? Ooh, it, it, it's gonna have to be emo music. It's I, okay. I, I can't. That's fine. There yeah. are far worse things yeah, no. than that. Uh, who's my favorite emo musician? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I spoke for a bit about American football with, with Matt a few days yeah, ago. Yeah, I love him. Um, he, he, you know, he was talking about, like, uh, shoegaze and and black metal and power violence and I started going man I, I really like that American football record <laughs> so you know I, I definitely have a less refined taste than some of the other people on this podcast so I'm gonna appreciate discussions down the line about because <laughs> I think this could be done particularly with with uh, the theorists that you tend to 
to to engage the most with Craig Deleuze. I think there's a real um, line of connection between uh, Deleuze's uh, view of film and also uh, theories of music. Um, so I think I think we could have some interesting conversations. But I have to say, yeah, that's that's my anything goes wrong in my life, I, I crack open my my record collection, uh, you know, and. <laughs> and get to work dealing with it and that kind of cathartic sense. Yeah, I actually found um, uh, a blog post written by Benjamin Noyce, um, who's written quite a bit about um, accelerationism and Deleuze and guitar yeah. and things like that. He yeah. actually wrote a, a quite a lengthy, really interesting blog post about black metal. Um, and how it fits into a Deleuze Guitarian reading of it. I didn't have time to finish it, but I'd love to I'd love to finish reading that because I've always felt that there's always that there's been this missing gap there. If you want to understand sort of popular rock and pop music, you've you've got someone like um, what what you know what we have of Mark Fisher's writings and uh, and so on. But um, that area is there's been a dearth of interesting writing, I think, for a while. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll uh, maybe we can find time to talk about it, talk about that at some point. <laughs> Yeah, and I think almost everyone here has a little bit of an affinity for Mark Fisher, oh, which is nice. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely have to visit him uh, on this podcast. That's part of the reason why I'm, I'm excited about this project is because all of us, we have disparate interests, but we also kind of had shared uh, uh, shared home bases. I think there are some, there are some theorists and some uh, sociopolitical and philosophical movements that are all our home swing. Um, so our home run swing. So I think there's, there's, uh, there's a possibility there for, uh, for discussion. So, um, guilty pleasures. Maybe I'll just finish with mine. Um, much like Matt, um, I'm a pop music aficionado. Uh, I'm involved in music. I make ambient music. I'm actually involved with a band. Uh, at some point I'll reveal the name of that band and we have an upcoming, well, this year we hope to have a, a, a new release. Uh, that style of music is kind of an alternative metal, very eclectic, uh, genre-bending sort of metal band. But um, mm. I also play in some other bands. I think I told you guys. Um, I play in an 80s, like an 80s cover band, but the highfalutin euphemism that we use is musical era tribute. And I also play in a 90s mm. musical era tribute band, and I will release the name of that band at some time too. Um, mm. The 80s band is actually a little bit well-known here in Los Angeles and other parts of the United States. And so you'll find me at home quite a bit just rehearsing Backstreet Boys. Nice. Yeah, Christina Aguilera. I sing all this stuff. Yeah, and, and all I'll say for now is I have shared the stage with Snoop Dogg. That's it. Oof. Ooh, we got to hear about this. <laughs> you, you, yeah, all right. Well, I, I think I'll be returning to this uh, just to hear that story alone. So who knows? Maybe the final episode has Snoop Dogg in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. maybe, it's, maybe it's five episodes instead of four, just so we can hear the story about Snoop Dogg. Yeah. <laughs> bring him on, on the podcast. Can we invite him like, to discuss it? Well, I'll say this. There's something very surreal that happens after you play a show with Snoop Dogg. And then the next thing you know, you're either at the coffee shop or back in your hotel room, lying on the bed, reading Anti-Oedipus. <laughs> that actually reminds me, like, if I can, I want to walk back slightly my guilty pleasure there. Because really, my, my guilty pleasure is the Smiths, right? Because they are a brilliant band. They don't have any bad albums. Probably not really many bad songs. But Morrissey, just the worst, just the worst. Yeah, I, I think I think the position is like we all have to pretend Morrissey died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think the way I deal with it is like I just pretend that after like Bone and Drag, he just doesn't exist. Yeah. 
like he just like disappeared and we're all just mourning his loss um and and i again like i think morrissey is an interesting topic of discussion alone right because how can that transition occur you know what happens in a politics to create to make to create a figure like Morrissey and then morph him into what he is. I came today. to the yeah. Smiths very late in life, and uh, the way that I came to it was playing for a cover band where I had to learn like six Smith songs. And I have to right. say, there's nothing like getting in the skin of the Smiths from the standpoint of a performer. It's just so much different than every other band. Um, some of the most amazing guitar parts that you've ever heard. Um, but very yeah. understated. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I guess I'll admit now, like I have seen a Morrissey cover band. Uh, I was I was offered an opportunity to go see a, uh, or a Smiths cover band to go see a Smiths cover band, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. The only thing, uh, I, even though that the, the only thing I can say in Morrissey's defense um, is I I appreciate it, but he's su- he's got such a strong stance on animal liberation because that's that's a that's an important thing for me. Um, I don't mind that he's a little bit combative about it. Um, it's just that in almost every other area, he is just awful. So maybe what we'll do right now is we'll just kind of wrap up. I just wanted to reiterate the goals of this podcast one more time. Three goals that I have in mind. Uh, the first one is just to have these in-depth discussions about theory as they pertain to political currents in our world, uh, but they will not always necessarily be limited to that. I mean, we might be talking straight up metaphysics at some point, uh, irrespective of what's happening in the world, um, if it interests us, although that's not on the current syllabus. Uh, The secondary goal, which maybe is actually the primary goal, is to bridge our knowledge and awareness of theory uh, between each other and extend that conversation to a broader audience and hopefully then spark interest in theory and critique as something enjoyable in itself. Uh, Before we sign off, maybe we'll have um, each one of us say one last word um, about what it is they hope to get from this podcast and what it is they want our listeners to get from them. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah, so for me, it's an opportunity to um, read and discuss some texts which if you read them in isolation, can be can be really really hard going, honestly. And I think having a space where you can talk about them with other people who've also been trying to tackle them from different backgrounds um, can help in uh, understanding them. Um, and it also, you know, if people um, listen to this and learn something from it themselves, or take, um, uh, you know, they feel motivated to go and actually read it themselves and then do something do something with it. Um, then that, that's really the, the goal for me. What I hope people do is that they find some, something interesting to think about or a text they, want to, they now want to go and explore um, and to not just like, not to leave it at, at the idea that it's interesting, but to do something with it. Great. Uh, Freen, what is it that you want for our listeners in the end? Uh, I think it sort of ties in with what you mentioned earlier about trying to understand, um, you know, all that is usually left out. Uh, all of that, all of those things that kind of escape our attempts at rationalizing and uh, coherently, like making sense um, of our experience right now. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I don't have a philosophy background, so it's, it would be great to like uh, to have this opportunity to learn from from you guys and also kind of test out my own like understanding and ideas uh, as well. Yeah, and I guess also try to know more about these cover bands because i don't think i've come across them before like <laughs> new phenomena <laughs> i was just intently listening Perfect. like what is this stuff i promise all secrets yeah. will be revealed will i guess my personal goal is to kind of take the delusian mindset and find joy in the critique 
um, I'm, I'm always stunned by just how with so you know if Foucault wrote to have no face I, I think Foucault wrote to abandon like his own sadness as it pertained to kind of the pessimistic outlook that one could acquire were they to be like a Spinozist Marxist um, so so I want to kind of find a way to engage with this uh, material uh, that is personally affirming um, but for the listener I, I want the goal to be to to learn as much alongside them as possible. I, I don't want this to be us like bestowing knowledge upon people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I, I, you know, I don't know if that, that is going, like, I think that is the goal that we all share, that we're all learning at the same time. And I think this is just a way for people to expose themselves and for us to expose each other with our fields of work, um, which is why I'm just extraordinarily interested in the work of Afreen and Craig and Matthew. I'm super hyped about kind of your PhD uh, project. So I'm just excited to learn. Great. Thanks, Will. Well, I think I'm going to conclude this first episode of Acid Horizon. If you want to reach out to us, support us, or give us feedback about how we're doing, you can find our Twitter feed in the show notes. You can find us on YouTube, or you can support us directly on the Patreon account that we have recently set up. We want to bring an interesting theory reading experience to you. So let's say goodbye for now. I want to thank the hosts, Will, Matt, Afreen, and myself, Craig, and we will see you next time on Acid Horizon. Thanks, bye everyone. Thanks, bye. Goodbye. Thank mm-hmm. you.